you don't know me, I'm Tom Wendell. I'm one of the Stephen ministry leaders here, and I have been an elder here in the past. Um, So back in September, Sean and I were having lunch, and he asked me if I would give a message on my favorite psalm. And I have to admit, my first reaction was, psalm? What psalm? Like, total blank. And... Then I thought, well, uh, because of being a part of the Wednesday night kids club, I had memorized Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the, what is it, counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, Uh, Psalm 1. And I thought, I memorized Psalm 23 too, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, like maybe one of those. And then I thought, oh, how about... Psalm 119. Oh, well, wait a minute. That's about five pages long. So, no, not that one. Although it is a very beautiful psalm. Uh, But I thought I would like to ask you all a question. If somebody came up to you and said, what is your favorite psalm? How many of you would be able to give me an answer right away? Let me see your hands. Oh, so a lot of you. Okay. Now, of you... How many of you would say Psalm 23? A few, okay, a few, all right. So I did a a search on the internet, and we know how trustworthy that is, um, to look up favorite psalms. And there was one website that claimed to know the top 10 psalms. Psalm 23 was number one. Uh, Another website claimed to know the top five psalms, and Psalm 23 was number one. Uh, Both of those lists also included Psalm 121, which uh, begins with, I lift my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, so both of those had that in there, but not in the same ranking. Uh, Other than that, they had nothing in common. So shows you the uh, authority of that. All right, before I go any further, let me uh, pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we have done our preparations. We've come here expectantly, Lord, but we need your spirit to be here, guiding us as we look to your word, opening our hearts to hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the topic of this sermon... uh, My favorite psalm. Now, Psalms 1 and 23, I had them memorized. They're good psalms, but they're not the one that I chose. And then I was thinking, uh, as I was going through, I thought, you know, maybe I just need to reread all of Psalms. And maybe I'll find one that'll hit me in the forehead, and I'll go, yeah, that's the one. And as I was reading through, I started to notice, doesn't take a rocket scientist, Um, David wrote an awful lot of those psalms, right? Uh, David's name is on 73 of the 150 psalms. It's quite possible that he wrote others because there are a lot of them that have no name on them. Uh, And other than that, there are psalms by Ethan and Asaph and Korah, or I think that's the name. Um, Now, those happen to be men that work for David, or David assigned them the job of writing songs. I was like, wow, David had an awful lot to do with the book of Psalms. And I started to notice David, he's called the man of God. Like, why is that? You know, I 
can't claim to be a great Old Testament scholar, but what I know about David is he had his problems, right? You know, he was a man of God and yet uh, guilty of some pretty amazing sins. And uh, when he wanted to build a temple before the Lord or a temple for the Lord, uh, in First Chronicles 22.8, God responded, uh, But the word of the Lord came to me, being David, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Uh, and as I mentioned already, you know, besides the many wars, David was also guilty of the sin of with Bathsheba, killing Uriah, her wife or her husband. Um, and it also talks a lot about how he wanted to take glory in the size of Israel. And he did that census in which tens of thousands of Israelites were killed. Um, so, okay, that's not it. What is it that made David a man of God? And I would say it is his heart of worship before the Lord. Uh, so prior to David... Uh, what was worship like in the Old Testament? And there are six examples, so it takes a little bit of searching. What do you look up? Singing, instruments, praise, what? So there were four cases of singing uh, under Moses. So in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, you'll come up with four. Actually, three, because uh, the fourth for Moses is Psalm 90, and you'll find that in the book of Psalms. Um, and the first of those is in Exodus 15. Uh, when Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea and they turned to watch the Red Sea return to its banks, wiping out the Egyptian army. And there's the song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Some of you are old enough to remember that we used to sing that here. Yeah. So isn't that amazing? A 4,000-year-old song was sung here at Trinity in the 80s. Um, the second example is uh, when God provides water for the Israelites in the wilderness in Numbers twenty-one seventeen, 17. Uh, and they sing a song, Spring Up, O Well. Now, that's not the Spring Up, O Well that you're thinking about, what that you do at the campsite with the splish splash and all that. Um, uh, because that one is talking about the living water coming out of our souls that Jesus gives us. This Spring Up, O Well is just literally... Water splashing up in the wilderness. And then in Deuteronomy 32, the whole chapter is a song that Moses writes that he teaches to the nation of Israel. And it's a real downer, actually, because it talks about what horrible sinners they are. You know, how God has chosen them among all the other nations, and yet they continued. And this is Moses writing, by the way, so just think, we're only talking about up until the time they get ready to enter the land. We're not talking about all the times under the king. So Moses is talking about all these times in the wilderness that you turned away from the Lord. That's what it is, reminding them. And then Psalm 90, uh, a nice song. That's the one that talks about, teach us to number our days, Lord. And then it says, refresh us, Lord, with your steadfast love. That's a, a good psalm to read to uh, kind of keep your perspective on things. A fifth song in the Old Testament prior to David. In Judges 5, Barak and Jephthah kill the Midianites, I think. 
And afterwards, uh, that's when Sisera is killed. Uh, afterwards, they have the song Rejoicing. That's about a chapter long, a nice song. And then the last example before David is Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when she prays for a little boy and God gives her Samuel and she praises God for that. Okay, so that brings us up to David. And David is called a man after God's own heart. And when we first hear about uh, David, it's in 1 Samuel 13, 14. He's not actually mentioned by name. You know, God has... Uh, I guess you could say, gotten tired of Saul. Saul was appointed to be king, and yet in multiple ways, Saul had shown that he was no longer fit to lead the nation of Israel. So uh, the prophet Samuel confronts him with these words, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So David here, not mentioned by name, but called a man after God's own heart. And in the chapters that follow, the rest of 13, 14, 15, we're given examples of how Saul is not this man. Uh, Saul does not lead his people into battle when they are in tension with the Philistines. They're kind of all sitting there waiting for the, somebody to move next, and it's Saul's son, Jonathan, who finally leads the people into battle. Uh, Saul makes a rash vow once the battle is put in place where people are not allowed to eat, so the battle is not as successful as it could have been. And Saul fails to obey the command of Samuel to go and kill all of the Amalekites. So those all happen after that word from Samuel that God has raised up a man after his own heart. And then we're finally introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And he's introduced in a very humble way. Samuel comes to Bethlehem to anoint the king. He has a feast with Jesse and his sons. And David is not even considered important enough to be invited to the feast, right? He's out with the sheep. So Samuel has to go through all seven of the brothers and God saying, nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. Uh, but Samuel does. Uh, they call him in from the sheep. Samuel anoints him with oil. And it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and came mightily upon him. The very next thing that happens is that uh, David is uh, recruited to be a musician, I'll get it out, uh, for Saul. Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit. Uh, They need some help. And so we are introduced to David as being a great musician. So we start out a humble shepherd. Next, he's a a musician, somehow well-known for uh, being a musician. Now, have you ever stopped to think about that? How does being a musician go along with being a shepherd? And uh, do you picture David sitting out on hillside? Maybe he's got his lyre. Maybe that kind of looks like a guitar or something, or maybe he's playing a flute. Uh, And who is he singing to? Is he singing to the sheep? No. Singing to God, right? Singing from his heart straight to God. Uh, who here knows Salty the singing songbook? 
Okay, so Salty's definition of praise is singing from your heart straight to God. Uh, So the other thing about David is that his music did have a spiritual impact, right? He is recruited to talk to, no, play music for Saul, and it works. And the verse actually says that his music drove away the evil spirit. So you can look that up in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, the other thing about David is that he didn't really care that it was him doing it. He was trying to get the whole nation to be involved in worship. So when he, uh, on his second attempt to bring the ark uh, into Jerusalem, he assigns people to play music, to sing songs, while he dances and, according to Michal, makes a fool of himself in front of the people, he is more interested that the whole nation is praising God. Uh, the other thing about David uh, is that, so by the way, that story about the ark, uh, you'll read it in Chronicles, First Chronicles 15, 16 through 22. I, don't, yeah, I guess I put it up there. All right. Uh, so the other thing about David, he worshiped God in all situations. If you're reading through the Psalms, some of them, you're, you're going to read them and go, mm, you know, I've never really been too interested in having my enemies killed. Uh, so there's a lot of talk where he is talking about how he's angry, where he feels betrayed. He's calling curses upon people and others where he's rejoicing, praising God for all that's happened, and then somewhere he's confessing his sins. Psalm 38, David is expressing his anguish over unconfessed sin, just how his soul is broken, waiting uh, before he confesses sin. And then Psalm 51, uh, where he has finally confessed that actually God in his grace right, confronted him and said, hey, you need to get this out. And uh, so that one is, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore a right spirit within me. Um, And the other thing about David, so you're going on like, what psalm are we talking about? Uh, Anyway, we'll get there. Uh, David worshiped God in new ways. So we sang a version of Psalm 150 this morning. Um, And the actual verses at the end of Psalm 50 say, uh, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the harp and the lyre. And the lyre can be kind of like a guitar. Praise him with the timbrel, which is kind of like a tambourine, but no bangles on it. Uh, And dancing with stringed instruments and pipe, with loud cymbals, with resounding cymbals. So it's not just an organ, right? Not just a piano but lots of different instruments that David has brought into it. And in Nehemiah 12, 36, uh, and I have been accused of putting way too many verses in my sermon here. Um, uh, in t- Nehemiah 12, 36, when the people are brought back from the exile, uh, what David accomplished was like the institution of worship for the people of Israel. You know, For him, it was innovation, making new things. But after they came back, it's like, well, David did it that way. We have to do it that way. Um, And David was also used as a prophet of God. So Psalm 2, that's uh, quoted in Hebrews. You are my son. Today I have been gotten you. 
referring to Jesus as the Messiah. Psalm 22, uh, why have you forsaken me? The verse that Jesus quotes from the cross. And Psalm 110, a priest on the order of Melchizedek. So those instances. David also shows incredible spiritual insight in Psalm 139. Are those, yep, okay. Maybe they're a little small for you in the back, but I wanted to get all the verses up there. And I'm just going to read through this. It is relevant to what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. When you, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my laying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Uh, And I'm going to stop there. It's certainly worth reading the whole psalm. But as you think about those verses, on one sense, that's absolutely wonderful, right? That God would know you so intimately. On another sense, it's absolutely terrifying, right? That God would know your every thought in that way, that he would know before before it's even out of your mouth, the words you're going to speak. And these words, you have enclosed me behind and before. Uh, one sense of that is almost like, uh, well, you're, you're fenced in, you can't get out. You know, there's almost a negative sense to that. Uh, you laid your hand upon me. So that could be a helping hand, could be a restraining hand as well. And then when you read the verses that follow, it says, where can I go from your presence? Almost like, Sometimes he's thinking, I'd like to get some space, you know, like to get away from here. Um, But this idea that God knows us that intimately, that he knows what we're thinking. Uh, So moving on, after David, uh, and I think I have a verse up there. Well, maybe not. Good. So we'll just move on. But uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 12 through 13, it talks about uh, Solomon uh, at the temple and all of what's involved there. And it says, all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed with fine linen, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests. Uh, and then it just goes on to talk about trumpets and cymbals. So the picture is just this incredible worship taking place at the time that the temple is finally completed and they're opening up the temple. Uh, but point out that Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, those are all people that David appointed to lead the worship. So David's impact was continuing on under Solomon. Uh, Solomon did, when the Queen of Sheba came, an interesting thing, she gave some algum trees. I have no idea what those are. Uh, But it says that Solomon used them to make instruments of worship. And then um, another story you might remember when Jehoshaphat, uh, he is being attacked by the Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites. And God sends a prophet who says, you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to take care of it. You don't even have to fight. And Jehoshaphat 
puts the singers out in front, the ones that God had appointed, or David had appointed. So they go out leading in worship. Um, and when they get back, they uh, worship God in Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets. And then a final reference in Second Corinthians, when Jehoiada the priest is anointing Josiah as king. It talks about, uh, I'll just read it. Moreover, Jehoiada placed the officers of the house of the Lord under the authority of the Levitical priest, whom David had assigned over the house of the Lord, to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to the order of David. So, you know, some of you may remember the story of Uzziah, how he wanted to become a priest. And he wanted to offer, you know, he took a censer into the temple. And because of that, he had leprosy and they escorted him out. So David had a huge impact on worship and yet he never desired to displace the priests. He just wanted the people to worship God in a proper way. So we have a sign. So what? Is that up there? Yeah. So what? Uh, We've gone through all of this talking about David. So what? Uh, How does that impact us? Uh, Remember, I started this digression because I was curious why David was called a man after God's own heart. So if David is called a man after God's own heart because of his passion for worship, isn't that something that we should try to emulate? And then... uh, Now moving on, worship in the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament doesn't really, there are only, I think, two examples of singing in the whole New Testament, although it talks about it a little more, but two cases where people are doing it. The first one is when the disciples and Jesus are walking from the upper room to the Mount of Olives. They're singing a hymn. The second one is when uh, Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail and uh, waiting for whatever is going to come to them. So talking about David, I mentioned that uh, he worshiped God in all circumstances. This theme is expanded a little more in the New Testament in a couple places. Ephesians five eighteen through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So I have to admit that it can be quite hard to give thanks to God in all situations, right? And yet that's what this says. If we look at David's example, we see that he was praising and worshiping God and also telling God what was bothering him. And he was not afraid to complain to God or to ask God to bring judgment on evildoers. We can do the same. We can complain to God. We can tell him that we're angry. We can let him know what we're worried about. Sorry. And remember to thank him for the salvation that he has given us. That's the important part. Rejoice in all things, remembering what he has done for us. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he told her that true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth. I think that being honest with God 
is a critical part of worshiping God. We need to balance this, so worshiping in truth, balance this with the right perspective of who God is. He is the God who has searched me and known me. All right. Uh, finally, we're here. Uh, okay. Uh, introduction. Psalm 5 is my favorite psalm. Why did I pick that psalm? Okay. Uh, well, the reason is back uh, when I was graduating from high school in 1976, ancient history for some of you, um, there was a group called The Road Home, and the lead singer for that group, Bill Sprouse, was awakened by God one night, and he gave him the music for the first three verses of Psalm 5. And that, uh, so, so uh, Bill Sprouse never actually heard the final version. He recorded himself playing it with the keyboard and his band took that recording and blended in their parts and that is what made it onto the album. It's kind of funny, you know, I just assumed I had actually seen him in concert doing this, but apparently not because there was only a week between when God gave him the music and when he passed away. Sorry. Um, so that's the story of Psalm 5 on the album Maranatha 5, still one of my favorite Christian albums. Um, so let me talk about Mar uh, Psalm 5. And the first three verses you're going to see are in the King James Version, and that's because the song was written out of the King James Version. Uh, after that, I'll switch to the New American Standard, just because that's my favorite version. Anyway. Uh, so, to the chief musician upon Neoloth, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt out here in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Uh, so, just a quick introduction there. Uh, the, to the chief musician upon Neoloth. Uh, actually, nobody knows what Neoloth is. So some of your translations say flute. Uh, some of them might say referring to a melody. It's just that's the only place that word occurs, so nobody really knows what it means. Um, but then in verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Uh, pretty obvious, right? David is calling upon the Lord to hear his prayer as he's preparing to come before him. Lord, please hear me as I lift this up to you. Um, one thing, uh, so David knows that God knows him and yet he is calling for God's attention, for God to listen to him. David is also addressing God by name. Now, that's not something that strikes us right away because we see L-O-R-D in capital letters up there and just say Lord, but that is actually God's name. Um, and let's see, the next phrase, consider my meditation. Uh, now, if you, uh, in the New American, that actually says consider my groanings. And you may have other variations in your translation that word meditation is uh, not frequently used, but it could be groanings, whispering, murmurings, thoughts. Basically, it's what's going on in David's head. Uh, so as David is approaching the Lord in prayer, he's like, look at what's going on 
inside of me. Consider what it is that I'm worried about. Uh, we hear in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit interceding with groanings, and David is kind of doing the same thing. Lord, I'm not going to get all the words out, but consider what's going on inside of me. Take that into account when you're listening to me. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. So hearken unto the voice of my cry. I think that's pretty much just a repetition of the first one, right? Please listen. Give me your attention. But here he is saying, my King and my God. So verse 1, he uses God's name. Here he's ascribing to him titles. Right, You are my king. You are the authority over my life. You are my God. You are the one I worship. I'm not going after Baal or some other God. I am following you. Uh, and that, that word for, for means because. You know, I'm praying to you, God. I'm not praying to these other gods. I'm not looking to someone else to give me the answers to my prayer. I'm approaching you. So please listen to me. Uh, and then my voice shalt out here in the morning. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have your quiet time in the morning, but that's the practice that David is making here, right? He's saying this is a regular event for him every morning. Lord, I'm coming before you and I'm approaching you every morning. To be fair, Psalm 4 is the evening meditation. He talks about when he's on his bed talking to the Lord at night. So, sorry. Uh, But this is approaching the Lord regularly every morning. And in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. So again, ordering that word. I'm actually not following my script here, so we're just going to go on. Uh, But some of you who have the ESV, uh, you're going to read that and go, that's not what that says. It says, I will prepare my sacrifice for you. Um, So that uh, the word direct means to lay in order, to put out. Um, So that's the ESV translators have taken that word and applied it to a sacrifice. But the word sacrifice is not there. There is just this idea of laying in order. So you could say, you know, most other versions have just said, direct my prayer, that I will get everything in order, have it laid out. So that almost sounds like he's coming to God in a somewhat organized way, right? He knows what he wants to say. Uh, Yeah, you don't have to feel. He also said, consider all this mess of thoughts that's in my heart. But he is coming, approaching him in an organized way. And then it says, and will look up. Um... And all that means is he's waiting. You know, he's not uh, popping off the prayer. Oh, time to go to work. See, you know, he is praying and waiting for God to respond to him. He is expecting a two-way conversation with God as he comes before him. All right. So moving on to verses 4 through 6. And now we're in New American. Uh, David switches to talking about the character of God. He is not 
not a God who puts up with evil and wickedness. He takes no pleasure in them. He says that the proud and boastful will not be allowed to stand before God and that God hates those who do iniquity. Wow, those are strong words. God actively opposes those who tell lies. And David said, God abhors the man who sheds blood and who deceives others. So looking at those verses, do you think David is claiming to have the right to come before God because he does not do those things? Wasn't David a man of bloodshed? Someone who had fought uh, many battles and killed many of his enemies? Didn't it say Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? Uh, So how is it that David comes before God? Verse 7. But as for me, your abundant loving kind by your abundant loving kindness I will enter your house. At your holy temple I will bow in reverence to you. Uh, O Lord, lend me lead me, sorry, in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. So verse 7 gives the answer to those questions. David comes before God because of God's abundant loving kindness. And we remember David, he's in the, the field with the sheep when God chooses him to be king. Nothing that David did. Uh, and so David relies on God's loving kindness and his mercy. And I, actually, I would say that's another reason why David is a man after God's own heart recognizing God's grace and relying upon God's grace. Uh, And uh, jumping off script a little bit again. Okay, all of you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has appointed beforehand. So... That idea that David, before Jesus, David knew that God was a God of forgiveness and grace uh, and seeking to serve him, to worship him as a result of his understanding of God's grace. All right, moving on. Uh, Recognizing his own fallibility and weakness, David then asked God to lead him into God's righteousness and to guide him into God's straight way, because David is afraid that his enemies will lead him astray. So reading 9 and 10, There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Uh, Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. Uh, in verses 9 and 10, David elaborates on the nature of his enemies. They are people who flatter him and seek to lead him astray. David asks God to hold them accountable for their sins. Uh, but today, in our circumstances, we might think that this is a little objectionable. Wait a minute, aren't we supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin? How can David ask God to judge the sinners? I think we need to remember that David was surrounded by fellow Israelites. This reminds, okay, which is to say they should have been God worshipers too, right? They should have been seeking to glorify 
and to worship God. This reminds me of a passage in Corinthians where Paul calls upon the Corinthian Christians to judge the immoral people among them. He's like, don't worry about the people out in the world, right? Worry about those who are in the church. And there are other verses in the New Testament that talk about holding one another accountable, right? That it is important that we confront sin, that we confront people who are uh, sinning to try to help them get on the straight way, the way that God would have them to follow. In the same way, now David is calling upon God to purify his own people. And then uh, the closing verses. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround them and favor with favor as with a shield. So these final two verses, David calls upon the people of God to rejoice and to be glad in God. And David also asks God to bless his people so that they can exalt and rejoice and be glad in God. So it's like a two-way street, right? Asking God to be gracious, to shine favor upon them, to give the people more reason to rejoice and to be glad in God. Okay. So David is asking God for these things because he recognizes that it is God who gives the blessing. So my last slide does not say so what. It says application. But it really means so what. Um, So what do we do with this? Uh, How do we uh, apply this message? First of all, with the Psalms, I would encourage you to read through them. You know, I, I would suggest only one at a time. And maybe some of them, like Psalm 119, you need to break up into more than one day. Uh, But uh, the other thing, listen to them played musically, such as the song you're going to hear, Psalm 5 today. Uh, There were also two songs by Keith Green, Created Me a Clean Heart, O God, and Renew a Right Spirit Within Me. And then also, uh, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd that he did. Those are back early 80s. There's lots of other uh, psalms that have been put to music, usually just little pieces of it. Uh, There is also this website that I have up there, everypsalm.com, where a group, and it's called Poor Bishop Hooper for a reason I don't know, um, has gone through uh, the effort of putting every psalm to music, and they have now completed the project. So all 150 psalms are put to music. There is another group called the Corner Room that has started. I think they have about 30 done. Um, Another possibility for application, memorize some. Psalm 1, a good one to start with. Psalm 23. And uh, then also pray responsively uh, through them. So uh, that means as you're reading through it, you're praying back to God. Uh, I think... There are some books praying scripture, so this is one way that you might do that. Um, All right, so let me close in prayer. Let's see, can you flip to the next slide? Yeah, so we're back to the first uh, three verses of Psalm 5. And I think I will try to pray these. Give ear to our words, O Lord, and consider our meditations. Lord, you know the thoughts that are upon our hearts, the concerns that we have. 
And so we do lift them up before you. We ask, Father, that you would see them, that you would know them, that you would give ear to us. Father, that you would be concerned and pay attention to our cries, to our concerns. And Lord, help us to worship you with the right attitude as King and God. Lord, that we would continue to direct our prayers unto you. And Father, we do desire to come before you regularly. Help us, Lord, to make that a practice of every day, coming before you in the morning, whether in the morning, noontime, or night, Lord, that we would approach you and seek your face. And Father, that we would remember to wait to hear the response that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.